to the back. Hey, that's it. Good morning again. Um, good to be with you. I think we're having a little bit of AC issues, which made me especially grateful we don't have 91 degrees outside um, like we did last weekend. So um, yeah, it's good to have you with you. If you're watching us online as well, thank you for joining us as we all come together to sing our songs and to lift our prayers, but also to hear from the Lord. Uh, what a blessing it is to the God who loves us and calls us to love. This morning, we'll be continuing our sermon series on the book of Acts, uh, just looking at the church then and now. Uh, as we go into the series, kind of our work is what did we learn from the church back then that also helps us today? When we look at the book of Acts, we, we kind of really um, lift this up because it's the early church. It's not only history, but this is kind of like close to the source and, and where we begin. But the challenge for us in Acts is that we have to look at it as a model and not a replica. Now, those might seem similar, but they're a little bit different, right? We have to look at it as a model, as in, like, in this story, we can see God, we can know God, we can know God is working, and we expect to see God, know God, know God is working today. The difference of it not being a replica is that a lot of us as Christians, you know, we already have, like, a strike against us, right? Because we might know cognitively that when Scripture is written, they write it to an audience in mind. Like, like when John was writing his epistles, he wasn't thinking, you know, 2,000 years from now, um, uh, uh, Hank is going to be speaking in Harry and the spirit is going to make it work out, right? Like, that's not what John was thinking. These people, they wrote with an audience in mind. So we have a strike against us in the sense of like, we tend to go to scriptures like, what does God have to say for me, right? And that's a good way to go to scripture, but sometimes it's not primarily written to us. So the challenge of Acts is that because we elevated as the early church, uh, we have to strike against us and be like, we have to do it exactly this way. But the irony is that we know that we don't do this with the Bible. So, for example, when you read about David, you know, dancing into the temple courts after celebrating the Ark of the Covenant, and his own wife looks at him and be like, dude, you're half naked. What are you doing? Most of us don't go like that. You know what? I need to change my wardrobe for next week. Right? Most of us don't do that, right? Um, in between services, I was talking to Craig, and we were talking about how one time uh, his, his mom was a Sunday school teacher, and she got a bunch of bugs for the kids to eat, right? And that was a good Sunday school lesson. But most of us don't look like, you know what? I need to change my diet. Let's go to what John the Baptist is eating. Let's do that, right? So we know that a lot of scriptures is, is not, you know, prescriptive, right? It's descriptive. And I think the challenge with Acts, because we elevated so much as the early church, is we have to do the work of knowing that, like, this is how God moved, yes. But maybe 2,000 years later, God moves different ways, right? Maybe the, the whole point of Acts is that the gospel starts here and it goes out into the world and even conquers Rome. But after 2,000 years and billions of people and all these different cultures who've come into the faith, God moves other ways. So that's our challenge as we go forth. Because what Luke is doing here is not just giving straight history either. Right? You have to realize that when we're going through even the first 8, 10, 12 chapters of Acts, that might be 8, 10, 12 years, almost 15 years, right? And so the challenge for us is that I might read chapter 1 on Monday and read chapter 2 on Tuesday, and we don't know the level of time that happened in between because we're reading it back to back like that. But what Luke is doing is, I want to tell the story of the early church, yes? But I'm going to tell these important stories because I want to inspire you and I want to call what the church is supposed to be doing. Now, he starts with the gospel being local. He's going to take it worldwide. But here's the other thing about this not being just the early church for us to model or for us to be a replica is that Luke, unlike most of us who work in churches or go to churches or are part of churches, right? 
Luke doesn't really care about church polity, right? And if you know what church polity is, all 10 of you or maybe 50 of you, that's great, right? But Luke does not. He does not even give a prescription of like, this is how the church is set up and this is exactly how you're supposed to be doing it because that's not his point. Luke isn't concerned with, you know, how the church is set up as much as he's concerned with what? Are we being the church? Luke isn't concerned with how you choose to worship necessarily is. He's telling these stories to say, this is what the people of God looks like. Are you being like that? Are you being empowered by the Spirit? Are you actually submitting to Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ? Because that's the story of Acts, right? The Acts of the Apostles, we call it, but really it's the story of a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Luke's intent, and you can see it clear, is that when he tells these stories, he wants us to know three things. That when the Spirit moves, lives are changed, families are changed, and communities are changed. So that's what we're trying to get from this book of Acts, right? Not the prescriptive way of how we are to set up our church, but to know that when our God moves, life changes, communities changes, and family change as well. If you have your Bible, turn to me to Acts chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 1 to 10. We'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Acts 3, starting at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you so much that you're the God who loves and the God who heals, who has not only loved us, but called us to love, who has not only healed us, but called us to heal. God, we thank you for stories like this that remind us that you're moving, that reminds us that you're still the God of miracles, that reminds us that you show up in the ordinary, that reminds us that you're working in this world. So God, now as we listen, as we worship, as we hear, let us hear from you. Holy Spirit, direct our thoughts, direct our hearts, but help us to not only know that you're a God who moves, but that you're a God who calls us to move. So help us to not just think about what it means to be the church or how the church is supposed to be set up, but help us to be the church, empowered by the Spirit, having lives transformed by you, so that our families and our communities and our neighborhoods can be transformed for your glory and for your kingdom. In your holy and precious name, amen. So the story in Acts chapter 3 is really, really fascinating to me for many reasons. One of the reasons is that it starts off with the very ordinary. Before you get to the miracle and the greatness of the miracle, it's just a regular occurrence that's happening. For example, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. Now, I just did a quick math in my own head, right? It's only seven days a week, so one out of seven, I'm right, right? But I think it was just a regular Tuesday. Like they woke up that morning, they didn't have a plan to say we would go to the temple and do a great miracle. They were just going to the temple to pray because that's what they did. And I think the lesson even in there is that though we may be attracted to the spectacular, though we may be attracted to the big and to the amazing, 
God shows up in the ordinary. And there's something about faithfulness to God that God loves and honors. That Peter and John didn't wake up that Tuesday morning, right, and saying, today we will do something great. All they did was they woke up that morning and said, today we will serve God like we did yesterday and the day before. And I think there's something for us in, in that and holding that moment and knowing that all they wanted to do was what they ordinarily did. They woke up that morning, they were going to the temple, they were going to pray. They were doing the ordinary. Now when we get to this man, we learn that he was lame from birth. We learn that every day that he was carried to the temple gate to beg. Again, even that is ordinary. In that culture, there was people who believed that if you were lame from, from birth, that, that someone in your family sinned. But what's interesting here is that even in that, 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 that culture is that he had friends or family or a support network that said, you know what, it's very ordinary on this Tuesday. Again, that's just my addition, right? It was very ordinary on this day. We are going to take you to the temple gate. Now, there's people who say this temple was called, the, the gate was called beautiful because when the sun set and the light shone, you would just feel the beauty and the, the scene just looked amazing. But the thing that's even more important than the beautiful gate is that this was a heavily trafficked area. And this man and his friends or family who brought him to that trafficked area knew something about church people, right? If you were ever a beggar, I would invite you to find a church and plant yourself next to a church and ask for something. Because here's the thing, those of us who are church people, we all have a little bit of PTSD. And we all have a lot bit of guilt, right? So there's nothing like going to worship your Lord and Savior and someone sitting there right in front of the church. So I think this guy was brilliant. I think his family or whoever put him there was brilliant because he knew if I sit here, there's a chance that someone, one of these people going back and forth, are going to give me something. So again, Peter and John, very ordinary, going to worship like they're, they're doing every single day. Um, um, this lame man and his friends and family, bring him to the gate that's beautiful, not because it's beautiful, but because this was a heavily trafficked area, and maybe the good temple people or the good church people will feel a little bit of mercy, and they will give me something. All of this is very, very ordinary. So when they get there, the man is doing what he does ordinarily. Peter and John are on their way to do what they do ordinarily. And what's interesting to me in this passage is that the man does what he's supposed to do. So he puts his arm out and says, you know, can I have some help, right? And I think it's very, very interesting. And maybe it's just me, but whenever you need somebody to really help you with something, if their reaction is just to look at you, that's a little bit strange, right? Like imagine if you were like lifting something very, very heavy and you call someone to help you and they just looked at you. That would not feel very good. Or imagine being this man in this situation who is, is begging for life, right? Is begging for uh, to be able to get food and all that stuff, and they just look at him. And what's interesting is they invite him to say, no, 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 look at us. And then when he switches over and looks at them, he thinks, oh, now I'll give them my attention. You know, now they're going to focus on me. They're going to give me something. The man expects a gift, and that makes sense. If I'm a beggar, I put out my hand, you tell me to look at you, I look at you, I expect a gift. Again, all of this very ordinary. What I love here is the shift. As we get to the miracle, Peter simply says, you know what? I don't have silver or gold. I can't give you what you think you need. All I can give you is what I have, which is Jesus Christ. 
And that is actually, that preached to my spirit because I think it's so easy for us to be overwhelmed by all the needs of the world. It's so easy for us to be overwhelmed by, by how we fall short and how we can't, you know, shine light in every darkness. We can't heal every brokenness. We can't fix everything. There's so much needs in ourselves, much less the world. We can't do it all. But what I love about Peter here is not about what he doesn't have. It's about what he does have. It's not about what the man thinks he needs. It's about what Peter knows the man needs. And so Peter looks him in the eye and he, he says, you know what? Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have is Jesus Christ. And in the name of Jesus Christ, as his representative, as his follower, empowered by the Spirit, walk. And what I love about this is it's not like a magic formula, right? In that culture, it was all about incantations and formula and saying the right thing the right way with the right octave and the right sound and all of that. And all he says is walk. And then he reaches down and helps the man up. A reminder to us. That yes, when God does miracles, miracles happen. But I love that our God is humble enough that he chooses to use us as part of the miracles. He could have just had walk and left the man alone, but he had a part to play. So he reaches down, he helps the man up, and as he helps the man up, his ankles grow stronger, his legs grow stronger, and the man starts what? Jumping to his feet, instantly healed. He jumps, he walks, and he praises God in the temple. What a wonderful reminder that when God moves, that when miracle happens, our natural reaction should be what? To praise and worship God. He jumps up, and he's so excited. He's going around, and he's telling everyone. And as he's going around the temple, people what? They see it. They hear it. And they're not only wondered, they're, they're, they're amazed at what's happening. And I think the lesson of, of Acts that you'll see time and time again is that, yes, God moves. Yes, the Spirit empowers but it's always to push the gospel forward. And that's what happens because the first 10 verses give you the scene of this great healing. But in the rest of chapter 3, you realize that the healing happened to prime the pump. That the healing happened to prepare for the gospel to go out. That the healing happened so people can see the signs and wonders and be opened up to Peter giving a sermon where he says, listen, this Jesus we follow, this Jesus we worship, this Jesus is God. This Jesus came from heaven. He's the Messiah that was promised. This Jesus died on the cross for your sins. This Jesus is the one that we killed. This Jesus is the one who died for our sins, was raised from the dead. This is who we worship. And I love that that's what the story is about. That Luke says, you know, everything is ordinary and it's happening ordinarily. God shows up, but God shows up so the gospel can go forward. God shows up so the gospel can go forward. And so when I first started looking at the story, I thought it's going to be a miracle. It's going to be a story about healing. But the more you look at these 10 verses, you realize that Luke's point is that God shows up in the ordinary because God is with us. Matthew Henry, who has one of the most read and probably quoted commentaries, respected commentaries ever, right? He has this quote that really, really struck with me, and he says this, right? By the light of nature, we see God as a God above us. By the light of the law, we see him as a God against us. But by the light of the gospel, we see him as Emmanuel, God with us. God shows up in the ordinary because God is with us. I don't know if you've ever sat under a canopy of stars. 
I don't know if you've ever hiked a mountain or even a little hill of 3,000 feet and looked down into the valley. I don't know if you've ever been in a city, for those of you who grew up in a farm, and you're just overwhelmed by people all around you. And for those of you who grew up in the city, I don't know if you ever heard cicadas at night. But there's a lot that happens in this nature that can make us feel small. There's a lot that can happen when we look around that can make us feel small. Nature makes it seem that God is so far above us because he's so grand and he's so big. But there's also those of us who follow Christ. And because we follow Christ, we want to live to honor him. And there's times where the law of God or, or following Jesus just seems so hard that it feels like God is against us. Why do I keep falling short? Why can I shake this addiction or affliction? Why can I not live the way I'm supposed to live? Why can I not trust you in this? And it seems like the light of the law is against us. But what Henry reminds us is that the gospel, the gospel that says God is Emmanuel, God is with you. So whether you're under a star or up on the top of a mountain, whether you're in a city or scared of cicadas because you see a bear in the corner, no matter how small you feel, Jesus is with you. No matter how big you feel that the world is all around you, Jesus is with you. No matter how much you say, God, I fall short. God, I'm not perfect. God, I'm not living the way I should be living. God, I keep doing this thing I don't want to do. God, I have this addiction I can't shake. Jesus is with you. That's the joy of Emmanuel. It's not just a promise. It's the truth of knowing that Jesus is with us. And that joy of knowing Jesus is with us helps us because he shows up even in the ordinary. You know, years ago in high school, I was a wrestler. There's something you have to know about wrestlers is that, you know, it's not a fun sport, right? It's not one of those sports that you're just like, I'm going to do this because it's it's fun. And one of the most challenging things about wrestling, at least for me, was, was the diet part of it. And when I started high school, you know, I was 4'11", 90 pounds, right? And I literally had to eat my lunch and then drink a whole gallon of water to step on the scale and be 90 pounds so I wouldn't wrestle varsity. So, like, I did that for one year and then paid for it for the next five or six years. Well, I had this strict diet from basically, like, August to March every year. Now, as part of that diet, you know, people who diet, they always talk about cheat days. And I love hearing about their cheat days because your cheat day does not touch what a wrestler's cheat day is. Because if we're losing weight, not only weight, week on, week off, when we have cheat days, we circle them on the calendar, and we plan our whole day around that day. So, like, I knew I had this big tournament coming up. I knew I was going to be at the uh, church, at the school from 6 in the morning to 8 p.m., and then, like, it takes me an hour to get home. So I had this night. I was like, this is one of the last tournaments. I'm going to have my cheat day. And I was a high schooler, so I didn't have a lot of money. But I remember it was a Monday, and I had about 10 bucks in my pocket, and I was just like, man. Saturday's going to be so great. After I get through this Gehenna of a week, right? After I get through the shield, I come out of this darkness, and I wrestle in this tournament, Saturday's going to be amazing. I'm going to weigh in in the morning. I'm going to eat all day. And it takes me an hour to get home. I'm going to get so much food on the way home. I had it in my mind. You know, I had my Big Mac meal all picked out. You know, I had my milkshake all picked out, my two apple pies. And then the Dunkin' Donuts that was next to the McDonald's after 6 p.m. had 25-cent donuts. So I had my four to five Boston creams all picked out. It was going to be amazing. I went through the whole week. It was a tough week, right? I made weight, did well at the tournament. Everything was great. Everything had gone according to plan. And then you have to know that my subway stop from my school is about a quarter mile. So for those, like, two and a half city blocks, I'm just dreaming of the food I'm going to keep eating on the way home. 
you know? I'm dreaming of like how I'm going to order it. I'm going to get everything right. I'm dreaming about how I'm going to sit in a whole booth on the subway by myself just picking out. It's going to be amazing. As I get to the subway stop, I see this guy off in the corner. And I think to myself, man, I really hope he's waiting for the bus. And as I'm getting closer and closer, I'm like, man, I really hope he's waiting for a friend. And as I got about, like, within, like, talking distance from him, I'm having this existential crisis that I know I have $10 in my pocket. I know I have this meal I've been dreaming about all week that I can't wait to get in. But I also know that he might need a little help. So I'm walking there, and I'm like, I'm not going to make eye contact. I'm not going to make eye contact. And then he goes, hey, brother. And I was just like, oh, he hit me with the brother. You know, it's like you can't ignore when he hits you with the brother. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And he's like, hey, brother, can I have some help? Do you have anything? And at 13, 14 years old, I had an existential crisis. Because I knew what I should do, right? I knew that, like, you know, that, that bill that was burning a hole in my pocket, I should give it to him. I knew I should do that. But I'm not as good of a Christian as some of you, and I didn't want to. Like, it was a painful thing to sit there and look at him and be like, are you sure, you know? And I remember sitting there and, like, having all this stuff going in my head, and, and this is where God showed up in the ordinary for me. Because in that moment, it hit me that, like, you know what? <laughs> You've literally been eating all day. He doesn't know where his last meal came from. You're literally going to a house with food stuffed in the fridge and snacks that you've been hiding all around the house all week, you can go home and eat the rest of the weekend, but he may not know where his next meal is. And I wish I could tell you that I gave him that money because I was a good Christian. I wish I could tell you I gave him that money because I'm pious and I'm a Jesus follower. But I gave him that money because I was guilt-tripped by the Holy Spirit. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, right? I literally took the money out, and I looked at it, and I was like, Andrew Jackson, you're not my favorite anyway. Ugh. And I slammed it in his hand, right? And here's the thing. I didn't feel good about it. You know, Scripture says what? God loves a cheerful giver. That was not me, right? I've changed, hopefully, right? I've grown up. You know, I've grown in my faith, right? But I was not cheerful in giving it. But God shows up in the ordinary. Because even with my ungratefulness, even with my stubbornness and my selfishness, God literally comes to me in that moment and says, it's okay, right? Like, I will not, it wasn't even like, I will bless this. It's like, you did your part. And I got this overwhelming sense of like, I may not have been cheerful, but God is. And then you get the second feeling of the Holy Spirit coming. I was like, now I feel good about myself, right? Even though I didn't give cheerfully or wantingly, like I was just like, but this does feel good, you know? And I'm walking with my friends. My chest is a little higher. I was like, you guys weren't good Christians. I was the good Christian. I gave them the money I had. Feel great about myself. And we go down in the subway, and we're sitting there doing what high school boys doing, just talking, talking. And I see the guy across on the other side of the subway. Now, it's been almost 25 years, and I wish I could tell you that he opened up a fresh Big Mac and was eating it in front of me, or maybe a Boston cream donut. I think I would have been able to handle all of that better, right? But when I looked across from him, from me, on the other side of the subway, going the opposite way, he's opening up a fresh pack of cigarettes. And I'm not going to tell you, again, I wasn't a good Christian back then. It broke my little heart 
I was just sitting there like, man, I could be eating my donut right now, and you're killing yourself. Like, what? Like, I kill myself, and it's delicious. You kill yourself, it's a cigarette. No, cancer, bad, right? But I remember sitting there thinking to myself, like, what is wrong with you? I just helped you. But God shows up in the ordinary, right? And I got another word from the Holy Spirit that says, like, no, 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 no. I didn't call you <laughs> to judge them. I also didn't call you to let him receive your help the way you think he needs to receive your help. All I did was call you to help. That's all I did. And I think that lesson has stuck with me year and year out, almost 25 years later, because here's the thing. That's what God calls us to do. So when we're living our everyday, it's not just about being faithful in the ordinary. It's listening to the Holy Spirit, taking those urges, even the ones we don't want. You know, I have a friend who preached a sermon a couple weeks ago, um, and she said this line. She says, like, sometimes you have to do stuff that only God showing up will make you know that God is real, right? And for me at 14, that's what I felt like. I'm just like, the only God can make me give you this money. And when I saw him lit up that cigarette, I was like, huh, I don't like this. But the Holy Spirit reminded me that it's not about how people receive our help. It's not about how people choose to receive our love that we give them. Our only job is to be the church and to love where we can and let God show up. Because our God is still in the healing business. But the joy of this story and the joy of our God is that he's humble enough to include us as part of the work. There's a Frederick Beekner quote that I use at least once a quarter around here, and it says this, right? A place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And whenever I talk about that quote, it's always about calling. You know, what is, your, what is your goal in life? Like, what is God calling you to do, right? And what is your vocation? Why are you still here on this side of heaven? Why are you breathing the breaths that you breathe, right? And so when you answer that, the answer is what? The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's God's purpose for your life. But this week I realized that it's also not just about calling, it's about witness. Because what is witness but God's work in your life that you live to profess? And in telling what God has done for you, you are a witness and a testimony to a world that doesn't believe. If you, don't, if you have people who don't believe God is real, and you have stories of how God has worked in your life, that proves that God is real. We think we can argue people into the kingdom. We need to know that we can love people into the kingdom. And one of the ways we can love them into the kingdom is by telling our stories of what God has done. Because your witness is the place where God calls you, meeting that world's deep hunger. Your gifts is the place God calls you, meeting that world's deep hunger. Your skills, your gifts, your abilities, everything that God has given you is for his glory. Because if you are able to combine your calling your number one reason for still being on this side of heaven. If you're able to combine your witness, your testimony, what you've been through, what God has done in your life, the things that you've overcome, the people that God has blessed through you, if you're able to combine that calling, that witness with your gifts, then you can not only join, but you can be an active participant in the work that God is already doing. And that's why, even in the ordinary, extraordinary things can happen. Because the God we serve wants holistic healing. And when he heals, it's yes, to push the gospel forward, but it's also to reveal that he is the God who is love. But if we live in a world that needs all kinds of healing, how much more should we use our calling, our witness, and our gifts to bring this healing? Because all of us know people 
or perhaps are in relationships with people where there's broken relationships. And God calls us to be the peacemakers, the reconcilers, the one who says, I'm sorry, the one who says, I forgive you, the one who says, yeah, there's a lot of not just water under the bridge, but we're actually not going to count that against you because we are called to be relational and bring relational healing through reconciliation. We live in a world that's in emotional distress right now. We live in a world where people are depressed at higher rates. People are lonely at higher rates. People are, are feeling not only small, but they feel insignificant at higher rates. God calls you to those people in your life. Life, to bring shalom, to bring peace, to bridge the gap. If they're lonely, that means they don't know what God's love feels like. But guess what? God is sending you. If they feel like they're too small and they're insignificant, maybe God is calling you to invest in them, to grow them, to pray for them, to check on them. God wants you to bring that kind of healing. And we're still believing in miracles too. And maybe someone you know in your life needs a physical healing. Our God is still a God of mercy. And our God is still a God who listens to our prayers. Or maybe it's the biggest one of all. Maybe there's people in your life that need spiritual healing because they don't know Jesus. Or maybe they know Jesus, but they fell off and they're not following or they just don't believe anymore. Maybe, just maybe, God has placed you in that person's life to not save them because only Jesus saves. Only the Spirit convicts. And only the Father has made the plan for salvation. But maybe, just maybe, God has placed you in your life so that you can be a light, so that you can be a witness, so that you can point them to the one who is the Savior. Because as the book of Acts is going to teach us, God desires to empower his church so that lives can be transformed, so that families can be transformed, so that communities can be transformed. And if you're willing to listen to God in the ordinary. If you're willing to say, God, what is my calling? How can I use it for your glory? God, what are my gifts? How can I use it for your glory? God, what is my story? How can I use it for your glory? God, where are you working? Where can I jump into the work that you're doing? We will see lives transformed. And we see those lives transformed. Just like in our story, praise will be the natural response to healing. And that's the joyful part. But the even more joyful part it's what makes the angels in heaven rejoice. Because that joyful part of seeing God heal people will set the stage, will prime the pump for the gospel to go forth. I'd like to call up Pastor Hannah and the worship team. We're going to close by singing a song that may be familiar to, I think, most of us. It's called Your Great Name. And I love this song because it reminds us that even in this story, you know, Peter wasn't dependent on a magic formula. He wasn't dependent on a magic incantation. He was just dependent on the great name of Jesus being the saving, transforming power through the Holy Spirit. So as we sing this song, I want us to think about where in our life that God is calling us to move, who that God is calling us to invest in, what relationship that God is calling us to reconcile, what emotional trauma that God is helping us to, or calling us to be peacemakers and work through. And as we sing this song, may we be reminded that we don't have anything to give this world but Jesus Christ. But are we not just thinking about what the church is? Are we being the church? I'd like to invite you to stand as we sing. I'd like to invite any pastors in the room to come up front as well. We'd love to pray for you, whether it's a healing or anything that was in this service. We'd love to pray for you for that as well. But as we sing, may we be reminded that our God who heals is the God who calls us to be healers as well. Let's stand and sing together. Lost are saved, find their way at the sound.
From the birth of the church, Christians have always recognized that God's greatest miracle is Jesus Christ. And I love that in this story, that's the miracle, not just the man being healed, but that's the miracle that, that Peter and John are able to pass on to a man who not only is healed physically, but jumps and rejoices and gives thanks to God. So my prayer for us as we go out this week is that we take that great miracle that is Jesus Christ 
and we take that miracle into our world to bring a healing that's holistic, a healing that's available for physical ailments, yes, but also emotional and spiritual and psychological. God, help us to be people who heal like you heal. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that you're the God who loves us and calls us to be lovers of your world as well. God, we thank you so much that you're God who heals and redeems us and now leaves us empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring healing and redemption to our world. So God, I pray for all of us as we go out this week that we may know and experience you in the ordinary, that we may know and experience not, not only the hurts and the, the, the brokenness of our world, that we may know the power of the Holy Spirit to step in lovingly, to step in prayerfully, and to do our best to glorify you by being love to the people who need love, to bring healing to those who need healing. God, help us to be people who pray. Help us to be people who are dependent on you. Help us to be people who are willing to shine our lights into the midst of this darkness. God who heals, God who brings miracles, we humbly ask that through us, you may bring those healing, those miracles, and that love to our world. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.